0: when you love someone you've got to trust them there's no other way you've got to give them the key to everything that's yours otherwise what's the point and for a while i believed
1: that's the kind of love i had Welcome to Cut to Black, a soprano sit-down. My name is Jim Scampoli, and I've seen Casino, starring Robert De Niro, directed by Martin Scorsese. My name's Jacob Burrows, and
0: I've seen Casino, uh, the eighth collaboration between these two fine gentlemen. Um, and yeah, we're doing another mob-type movie. I think this is only an appropriate one to move on to. Um, so Casino, it's not not necessarily the most uh, well Discussed, you know, I think people like it, but it's not one that comes up a lot when you're like, oh, yeah, uh, Goodfellas, Godfather. Like mm. it's it's not that it's not in the list, but it's like a little further down for people to get to, I'd say.
1: I've seen there is a growing sentiment where people say it's better than Goodfellas. I'm not quite in that camp. I think it's an amazing yeah. movie. And I think it's actually like uh, like we we're talking before we started recording here. I'm, I had rewatched it like less than a year ago. And then rewatched it again, obviously, for this discussion. And every time I watch it, I'm always like, this is a fucking great movie. It's still like, it's just tough because Goodfellas is like, oh, pretty much my favorite movie. So I can't be like, oh, it's better than my favorite movie. Uh, But it's (laughs) fucking amazing. And I mean, we're going to get into it a bit. Uh, Like this time, I was so taken of how like, I mean, I guess it's almost the whole movie. Well, because I found it, there is like a classic Scorsese quote where he's like, there's no plot. He's like, there's tons of story. Uh, there's stuff happening. Whether it's a movie, it's three hours and no plot. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. I noticed how like 40 minutes of this movie is basically a YouTube um, a YouTube video. Because you know how YouTube videos okay. now or, or video essays or whatever are always like a blah, blah, blah. And then a blah, blah, blah. And timing it with the narration. Dude. For 40 yeah. minutes, it's the template. <laughs> Of a YouTube video where he's like, the pit bosses are watching The floormen, and I'm watching them. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, YouTube owes Scorsese a check. <laughs> uh, but it's also it's so like it brings you in so immediately. And next thing you know, 45 minutes has gone by. And all that's happening is he's just telling you about Vegas and this and that. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it, but uh, it's it is it is a wonder. It's a man at his craft uh, kicking some mass. That that's so true uh, about the YouTube
0: video that it's uh, there's no point in me making uh, the real history of <laughs> casino because yeah. it's in the film. Um, though there is some are some interesting historical facts and connections that we're, we're gonna get into in this episode uh, as well but I just wanted to mention since we're uh, since since this is a bit different from our soprano stuff on on this feed etc we will have a spoiler warning um, but we will discuss things quite broadly up until then so mm. just we'll chat about things like how the film's put together or the characters etc but we won't go into like the major beats of how the film ends you know who survives stuff like that we'll leave that for after the spoiler just in case
1: yes yeah absolutely
0: you know, yeah. let's give you the basics first um, so yeah I think back back when it came out so 95 uh, I think the the critical reception was close to what we were saying that it you know probably not as positive as you were saying, and as you, and, and there might be a bit of a resurgence, people liking it more, but it seemed like the consensus was along the lines of it might not be their best, but their average is still so much better than most other people. Like, it got high ratings from critics and, uh, and such, but some folks were saying it's kind of like more of the same, but that makes sense because it's basically as close to a sequel to Goodfellas as you could get. Yeah. It's not just uh, you know, De Niro and Scorsese, it's also Nicholas, uh, Pileggi. Is that yes, how you say his Nicholas name? Nicholas Pileggi, yeah. Um, who you will know of if you know, uh, Goodfellas or or this film, or, or even just this genre in general, because he obviously wrote the book, the nonfiction book that Goodfellas is based on, and he uh, basically, the way it started was he read a, a report, uh, for a 1980 report from the Las Vegas Sun, about a domestic dispute between Frank Lefty Rosenstahl, uh, who is the main character of this, or an adapted version of uh, him, is what we see on the film, and his wife. Uh, Jerry McGee, who was a former topless dancer, and this kind of gave him an idea to focus his new bu- book on the true crime story of mob infringements in Las Vegas during the seventies. And basically, in- instead of like him finishing the book and then you know Scorsese going, "This is a great book, we should adapt it," it was more like. Uh, him talking to Scorsese already and Scorsese is like, do the book after let's do the screenplay now <laughs> so it's very interestingly entwined that it's like the screenplay basically came first and then the non-fiction book, they were very much tied together, but that along with of course all the same people be, or a lot of the same people being involved makes it very similar to uh, Goodfellas, it's impossible not to connect the two, but I think in a positive sense in that it's kind of like, a, you can't do a sequel to a, a film that spans 30 years <laughs> like Goodfellas yeah. and ends the way that Goodfellas does, but this is more of the same, I think, in, in a good way.
1: Agreed. And um, to kind of relate it to just like mob movie pantheon and The Sopranos, it's like the continuation, like Scorsese, I mean, it's, I'm not going out on a limb saying like Scorsese paved the way for The Sopranos, but like, you know, we've talked about The Godfather and The Godfather has this like, You know, um, more traditional look with some like hints at cracks in the traditional look of the the noble gangster. You know what I mean? And then Goodfellas is all about how like these are just kind of degenerates. And then again, this I never even like. I I, the realization came on more on this rewatch of how it's mostly about two guys completely fucking everything up like that it's just about because i always in my head it was more about like how ace was doing the right thing and then nikki was messing everything up and then on this rewatch i'm like oh wait no ace is a fucking idiot like ace knows everything about gambling and he knows everything about like how to make a casino make money and how to make sure all the muffins have the same amount of um Blueberries. Blueberries. Yeah. Uh but when it comes to just like being a, a regular person, he doesn't know how to do that. And then of course the Sopranos like took that idea and ran with it even more of like, well, no, they're even more uh idiotic scumbags uh than you would even expect. So like I do think there's like a natural progression, like David Chase kind of saw that and like ran with it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think in Godfather, it's like uh, being in the mob makes the main characters kind of cold and detached, and some of them are pieces of shit. Uh, but like the marriage, the central marriage in Godfather is kind of ruined by um, the crime. Uh, crime making him colder and like more calculated, and like he's so logical and precise with what he's doing. But he's he's his emotions are shut off. And then this it's <laughs> in these it's more like piece of shit but he's really <laughs> good at gambling so he gets to run the casino or not necessarily a piece of shit but you know emotionally it's not the crime thing that messes them up they're yeah. messed up and that's why they're in crime and you can see sort of a similar thing obviously with the sopranos in that mob hits and things like that are part of it they're important uh but it's like all the the downfall the emotional downfall comes from
1: within not from without yeah for sure um And then, uh, and again, even though it doesn't, even though Nicholas Pelleggi's not involved, but, you know, it's very much like if people are familiar with the Cornetto trilogy, uh, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost, you know, Scorsese obviously has Goodfellas, uh, Casino, and then more recently, uh, The Irishman, which again, doesn't Mm. have Pelleggi involved, but it's another like spiritual... Uh, sequel, trilogy cap, or whatever. And I know you guys discussed it on Real H- uh, History. I think we might have to delve into it uh, sometime as well, but just to kind of yeah. bring it into the fold. Because, yeah, there's obviously similarities, like Joe Pesci's playing the hothead, Uh, but I think this movie gets to put, in comparison to Goodfellas, we get to put De Niro back more into the central uh, character, um, and kind of play off that relationship. And I think it still does enough different. And plus, we're dealing with uh, real events, even though I did see that they had to like play with the wording on like based on actual events for, to like what adapted by actual events or something. And I, mm-hmm. And a little tidbit I love that I just thought was a fun creative thing of like years ago, back home when it says it on the screen. But they're like, well, yeah. no, we were actually worried. Like, we didn't want to bring up Chicago. We we didn't want to specifically stay. And I, I guess I never really even understood or thought that they were from Chicago. I never thought about it before until I was digging a little bit into the movie. Although I can't tell. I would think it's more, it's probably more a money thing. Like, they didn't want to, like, pay people for their stories. Whereas some articles make it seem like, well, producers were afraid of the mob. And it's like, I don't know if I buy that. I assume it's more just dumb legalese that they have to uh, worry about being sued or some bullshit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they they take, like... It's interesting because a lot of it... uh, Like, Roger Ebert's review, he gave it four out of four, uh, but he also said, like, unlike his other mafia movies like Goodfellas, Scorsese's Casino uh, is as concerned with history as with plot and character. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're right, because even though they're like on the money for a lot of the overt, like this is the sequence of events it's, they do take license with combining characters and altering locations. And the casino is fictional (laughs) instead of the real one. Um, And yeah, exactly. It's like adapted from a true story. Um, But I, I, I don't know how, I don't know the decision making entirely. I think it's just creative, like you were saying. But, and I just enjoyed that it said back home. Yes. uh, Even though when you look into it, it's so clearly Chicago. I assumed it was New York because we've been watching, uh, I've been re watching The Sopranos. So I'm like, of course, back home, New York, Uh, New Jersey, that's where they're at. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's an interesting detail and we can get more into that. But I guess. We should say, as you were saying, it's about two guys fucking things up. It's also about uh, two guys and a, uh, a girl in a casino, basically. And yeah. yeah. um, it's like three characters in this, even though there's a sprawling, like there's so many fun uh, bit-sized players in it. It's still like if I had to, I, I if I had to boil down what it's about, it feels like these three characters bouncing off each other is so much the heart of the movie, more so than other films in this genre where there's a sprawling cast and like threads and everything, because a lot of these people who would have been based on real gangsters or whatever, they're kind of mentioned in a voiceover. You see him like, and then I built up my crew when I got jo- Joey yeah. Longfingers and this guy, and we used to rob banks, but all of that is kind of like, and we did this and that. And now let's spend a 10 minute scene with these relationships between these three characters and then do another 40 minute YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, And uh, I mean, it's probably something I bring up later. I won't say specifically, but there's a scene towards the end in like a cornfield uh, because the other connection is I live in Las Vegas. But like Mm -hmm. that where that was shot, you know, since it was shot in like 93 or whatever, that's actually like five minutes from where I live now. So that cornfield is just all like you know, Costco's and fucking <laughs> neighborhoods now, except there are remnants, like there's an orchard. Like th- I'm I'm in the area where like suburbia is building up, but there's still people that lived out here from before. So sometimes there'll be horses walking down some of the streets and shit. So it, it's kind of fun when I look at it now from living here for, I've been living in Vegas for over 15 years now. So now even some of the old places, I could still recognize a little bit of like, Oh, that was filmed over here. And I I almost want to be like I got to go drive by Ace's house. It's still fucking downtown over there. I'll go take a look at Ace's house. Like, oh, that's where uh uh she was uh busted. Th- there's the window where she busted in and took the key. Uh so- <laughs> Absolutely, man, and
0: uh, yeah, they should put up a sign. You should make a sign and put it up if there isn't one already. <laughs> yeah. But that's a really fun fact, and I did. I was uh, interested in your perspective because I, I assume you're gonna you're gonna just naturally love this film more because you know the mean streets of Las Vegas. You're mm. in the mafia. No, let's, yes. let's not say that. But you're in <laughs> you're in the organized crime. No, but you're in Las Vegas, and uh, like you have to understand that outside of the U.S., we're so friggin' dumb that we just see Vegas portrayed in every movie and TV show. And like when I was coming to visit you in Vegas, I had to tell our mutual friend like, no, he's not like a stage magician. There are people who live in Vegas who don't work in the (laughs) casinos because you would obviously never see any of that in any film. You'd only see like the casinos and you see the film casino. Um, And then like we don't even have that grasp of like, oh, there's... Like people living there who do other things that are not casino related, it's like, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but those types of little details, like we see a mayor of uh, Las Vegas is in this yes. film as a cameo, yep. and all these little things, they gotta mean more to you, Jim, than to the average viewer.
1: Yeah, because yeah, Oscar Goodman, who I think I think it's because he was actually his lawyer. Uh, so, yeah. Because he plays the lawyer in this movie. And his wife is now the mayor. So that's how it worked. Where like he was the mayor for a while. And then now his wife's the mayor because that's because Vegas still is Vegas, even though uh, (laughs) Ace can say it's Disneyland or something. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it's I mean, like anything, you know, if you at least for me, I assume it's for a lot of people. Whenever you get to want, I mean, you live in Ireland now. So, like, when something's yeah. placed, when something takes place in Ireland, you'll like perk up a little bit and be like, Ooh, I'll pay attention. So, it's just always There was fun. a scene in yeah. The
0: Sopranos where they were in a hotel room clearly in the US and they mentioned
1: that they're near St. Stephen's Green. I'm like, I know that
0: place. So,
1: yes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but, but it definitely, each time I watch, and especially most recently, I'm looking up... Lo- I'm like, wait, where is that? I'm looking up locations, and I'm always trying to make a note in my head, like, I got to go drive by there. And then I'll look at yeah. it and be like, oh, yeah, that's where they beat up Lester. <laughs> that's the parking yes. lot. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, great. Well... Let's give a
0: very brief summary. If you haven't seen the film, who are these characters, and like how do they like? What is the plot? And as we said, it's kind of about mob involvement in casinos, uh, mostly in the seventies and eighties. Um, and it's basically about these three characters. So Robert De Niro plays Sam Ace Rothstein. Um, who is a great bookmaker, and he just always knows what to bet because he has all the facts, is potentially involved with some rigging, is involved with uh, the mob in sort of helping them run books, I think, etc. And he is convinced to go to Vegas and start running uh, a casino, where in reality it would have been multiple casinos, but we're focused in on one casino um, that he's running his way, he watches the pit bosses, they pit bo- or the casino manager, <laughs> yeah. etc. Like he does the whole thing. Um, he's arguably the main character. Joe Pesci is Nikki Santoro, uh, who basically these two characters are like Joe Pesci is so often like the hothead. Um, it's he almost turned up to eleven here. I know he does crazy things in all uh, <laughs> yeah. all the films, basically, but uh, they're very much two sides of the same coin in that uh, Sam Rothstein is very kind of a logical kind of guy he's not aggressive he uh just knows how knows how to do gambling and run a business and that's it and uh nikki santoro is very aggressive and the two of them are kind of working together kind of not in that sam is running the place nikki is sent over in part to make sure other mob crews don't try to get a piece of what's going on there uh but then at the same time he starts doing his own criminal activities in the city of Las Vegas, which was up until then, uh, according to this film, not as invested with organized crime. Uh, So he kind of expands the scope of that, leading to a lot of heat for everyone, which leads to conflict. And at the same time, we have the third character of Sharon Stone uh, playing Ginger McKenna, who is this character who's very attractive, kind of a a hustler, um, who Sam falls in love with, or I would say decides... Uh, to make yeah. his wife you know because the because it's very it's really interesting like you see it from the very start in the film like explicitly that sam is like yeah i i'm in love with her but also he tells her like he knows it's not going to work everyone knows it's not going to work so the big tension of the movie isn't like is their marriage going to be okay it's like how fucked up is this going to get which is so funny because he's such a you know practical logical person and he keeps saying these things about trust and that was the quote from the very start is from the start of the film where he says that you know you have to trust someone completely if you love them let them in completely and that feels like something that's like the base of his character but it's so obvious that he's picking completely the wrong person uh to trust and to let into his life and everyone knows that watching the film and he kind of knows it as well i think um so it's an interesting dynamic and these three characters the way they bounce off each other the conflicts etc that is the meat and bones of the story and then sometimes. Uh, mob stuff also happens
1: yeah no i think that's that's a great summary and it's and like on this watch i just noticed more of the parallels of both of them uh between um ace and and uh nikki making similar mistakes and then yeah ace's like obsession or want of ginger um it's almost like because he it's almost like he gets everything he wants. So he just assumes like, well, oh, I can just have her as well. Cause like I have a casino, I have all this money. I know how to do th- this, anything I want, I get, so I can just make this happen. He tries to force it. And usually yeah. like, um, usually when I watch this movie, like I hate ginger so much. Uh, I mean, cause she, she's, she is pretty hateable. And I think Sharon Stone's really great. In the movie, yeah, but on this watch, I kind of realized that it's ace's fault more, yeah, uh, I don't know if it's just because like talking through some of these shows more and like uh not automatically being like, "Ah, the lady's evil, uh." <laughs> But I, I just especially because in, in towards the start of the of the film here, when he's saying like, hey, I understand what's going on. Well, this is an arrangement. And like he but he's he, he's not. He's the girl in the situation, because usually when you watch like a friends with benefits t- type story, like a romp comp, and it's always like, hey, uh, The guy the the cool high school guy's always like, Hey, just so we're aware, like we're friends, right? And the girl's like, Yeah But then later she's like, Well no, but I love you But that's ace now. No, I love you. This is actually really taking down toxic masculinity or not taking it down, but really showing it in a certain way with ace. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, great point. Uh, I feel like the standard these days would be the, uh, to flip it and it would be the dude catching feelings, but actually yes. they're both catching feelings, but the girl is so emotionally disconnected that she won't allow it because she's too focused on her fucking career no. running this fucking casino.
1: <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. This movie's ahead of its time because it was flipping yeah. it already back in 95.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so as we were saying, it's kind of uh, a more personal thing film as in we're more in these relationships you know it's about these three characters two of them are narrating throughout um the narration is interesting in that it allows the youtube video essay like description of what's happening it allows us to move through many years quite quickly kind of similar to goodfellas it also really puts a distance to everyone else in the film because Mm -hmm. these two characters are kind of they're the, the main antagonists to each other of Nikki and Sam. And at the same time, we're in both of their heads, uh, throughout and like, yeah, for better or worse, it puts a distance to other characters that might tune in, except for Ginger, because she's such a central part of it, but everyone else is just kind of a, a bystander or a, a, a co-star in the, the film of their life. Cause we're, we're in their you know, we're, we're seeing the world through their eyes. Literally they're explaining everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I feel like it's kind of complex relationships, but the story itself is kind of straightforward as well with the relationships between these. Um, Because it's like, yeah, mounting tension throughout the film. There's some, maybe some argument to be made for what you're saying of like three hours and not that much happening. But it's because we're taking the time to delve into these complex relationships and how they develop, how uh n- n- how Nikki and uh Ace kind of need to kill each other from the start and it's yeah. most of the movie is things getting worse and worse and them going I don't want to kill this guy I like him <laughs> you know uh, well, but yeah
1: it, it it essentially it is a ma- like people talk about world building a lot these days just because every movie now is a potential franchise a potential new universe whatever it might be spin-offs TV shows but like the world building is in Casino is masterclass because it 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 like effortly dips in and out of like just telling us about Vegas and the, the world building yeah. and then just here's well here's some character stuff that's happening um, and slightly off topic but like the look like with and I guess I was I was trying to read up on it on if they were going for anything specific but I guess it's more um, kind of a trademark of the of the DP on the film like the way with the spotlights and kind of like the harsh overhead lights that come down, I think yeah. it adds a lot. And I always like wondered about it. I didn't know um, like, if they're trying to go for some sort of halo, heaven, we're in hell uh, thing, or it's just like, hey, this looks cool. I mean, some of the stuff I've read where Martin Scorsese is still kind of like, hey, lighting, I don't even get it. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But and then between that and even like, especially early on in the film with, there's all like a lot of the harsh spotlights and sometimes it's not even on characters. It's just on like a spot in the bar or whatever. But then there's uh, a lot of cigarette smoke that's always billowing up like from the frame. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, and that's me being like pretentious, like heaven and hell, the smoke and fire and the, and the pearly gates above. But I, (laughs) but it probably is more just like, this looks cool. This is dope. Everyone's smoking in Vegas. I, I don't think you're
0: wrong to do that reading, intentional or not, because the film starts with a car bomb. Uh, I don't think that's a spoiler. It's the first minute. Yes. There's a car bomb, and then we see, sort of see a person or a doll or silhouette kind of flying through an explosion in slow motion to operatic music, and that feels very intentional as a like, is he going to hell? Is he not? Like, flying through the air kind of yeah. thing. So And the uh, flames, reading- like the, the fireballs yeah. and everything, yeah. Yeah, so reading that into the rest of it does make sense. Um, I kind of felt like some of the best stuff visually in this is either in the desert or with a myriad of neon lights and stuff like that. I, I personally didn't really love the lighting uh, of the indoors. I think it makes sense. Uh, most of it is indoors. And I, I just felt like the lighting wasn't anything to write home about necessarily because it's... Set primarily in these well lit casinos, mm-hmm. so the lighting is, uh, you know, as you said, it's high key, aggressive. I, I the there's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's very, my reading of it, and what you're describing might be slightly different, but I felt like it's very high-key, bright lights, we're in these casinos, you don't want to see, you you want to see if people are cheating, everything is brightly lit, Um, and it does make for a good contrast to the darker events in the actual film, Mm. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, there's not, to me, there wasn't that much happening in the lighting that made it super to look at!
1: I just meant more so the the like the spotlights that pop up and and looking it yeah, up, yeah, it's, for uh, sure. it's Robert Richardson is the cinematographer, and I mean he has worked with Tarantino um, and uh, Oliver Stone. Uh, He's worked with Scorsese also on Aviator. He was a director of photography on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Glorious Bastards, Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. So, and I have, I read up a little bit up, and it is kind of a little bit up on it, and it is one of his things. He kind of does that in a lot of his movies. Um, And some people read it. I was reading different interpretations. Some people read on it, read it as like adding in the like dreamlike quality of Vegas or the. the like phoniness of vegas because everyone's under a spotlight it's all a show whatever you want to take from it i Mm. i get what you're saying like as far as it's not like beautiful lighting but i i love the the feel it gives the at least this specifically more like the spotlights or the harsh lights that they have in when they're in like these clubs but like there's a spotlight on the table or whatever and it's like Glowing off of their faces and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I think yeah. it's. I think it adds a lot to the to this particular movie. Sure, I understand um, for sure. Um, so I guess we
0: should get kind of into the the plot details. Like honestly. If we give a spoiler warning now and get into it, I don't think there's like huge spoilers throughout because it's a one thing before we say spoiler warning, it's a three hour film. Do you think it's justified or do you think it should have been shorter or do you think it needs to be that long to sort of deliver
1: on this, uh, this sort of crime epic? Uh, I feel like it's justified because I don't, I don't feel the length when I watch it. It, it's very similar to when I watched The Godfather, like the even though the first one I guess is not quite three hours. Uh, I mean I'm sure you can make arguments that maybe you could trim like twenty minutes or something, but I uh, in 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 my opinion, I don't think it's it's like bloated or anything like that. It comes off like it's it it gives us enough to work with for the runtime. Yeah, and I would
0: agree. I wouldn't say, like, the pace isn't necessarily breakneck speed, but the narration really helps guide you through it um, in a way that's really sort of gentle and you're, you can just kind of sit back and let it wash over you uh the film doesn't come with a lot of padding um or a lot of like unnecessary complexity which is often where long films these days mm-hmm. get a bit lost in that they're trying to make the story more complicated or have twists and turns and more action and stuff like this whereas you don't get confused at any point about what's going on here or like annoyed that you're spending too much time on or another um so so I, I did watch it in multiple sittings which you know depending on timing you might have to but it still works throughout it doesn't feel like it's uh, particularly slow uh in my opinion either
1: yeah yeah i agree
0: so let's say that this is your spoiler warning um, and we're going to get into uh, details surrounding some of the major twists and turns, and the ending after this. So, if you haven't seen Casino, we uh, recommend going to check it out and then coming back.
1: Here's the here's a big spoiler: Steve uh Bobby Bacala himself, can be seen real quick if you pause it <laughs> when <laughs> Nikki's stabbing <laughs> that guy in the throat with a pen. Uh you see him real quick in the background. Uh so there you go. There's a Sopranos connection. Um and- I mean Phil Leotardo
0: is in it in the
1: first like oh, minutes yeah, as of well. So yeah. but yeah, Frank that's Vincent great. Rules. Uh
0: I need to pull up that scene right now and see if I can catch him. But I think that scene, which is in I don't know if it's the first ten minutes, five minutes, or whatever, it's fairly
1: Yeah, it's fairly it's, it's early. early. It's because it's setting up yeah. like it's it's basically Like, we're introduced to Nikki a bit, but it's setting up, like, who Nikki is. um, Mm. Because, yeah. And, well, that's one of the things I want to talk about as well. Like, it's got to be... Because, I mean, I would imagine this this was all scripted that way. Like, it's not, like, after the fact. They're like, oh, let's do voiceover. But it's got to be so weird to shoot some of these scenes because you have to play it up like it's a real scene or you almost have to play it up like you're shooting almost like a documentary where they're just going to kind of be guys hanging out because you know like you need this extra stuff in case depending on how the voiceover tempo is going to go or how they want to stop or pick things up because I love picking up some of the side dialogue that you're not necessarily supposed to hear when you know the voiceover is going but you just hear like Nikki being like uh, oh hey, you know we were supposed to go pick up a thing. Like he's, they're having this side conversation that we don't get to hear because we're listening to Ace tell us the story or what have you.
0: Yeah, I guess that's what they uh, they call chuffa, right? It's. Uh, dialogue that's unimportant to the story like kind of filler dialogue to to put in these uh gaps where you know there's going to be a voiceover or the stuff where like there's something on the tv uh like in any film or tv show and then it cuts away but they're still talking on the tv and whenever they sneak in like jokes and stuff there i I understand in tv at least it's often because they're like yeah let's give this to a writer's assistant to whack Mm -hmm. something out and they're obviously happy to write anything that'll go into the show and might try to sneak in some jokes or whatever. Um, But yeah, I imagine for stuff that's so dependent on voiceover and even like some of the scenes that are like action scenes, it's like... You have to set up all this, like, there. all this stuff needs to be set up and played out. Like, even Ginger and uh, Ace's wedding, to an extent, is a huge scene. But yeah. a lot of it is, like, we just kind of traips through it with a bit of narration. <laughs> they're all yeah. having this enormous party that we barely dip into.
1: <laughs> well, and even, and this is a little different than what we're talking about, but it's kind of on, on the same page. Um, when they're talking about how they have to cover their mouths now because they know there's lip readers. Yeah. And they're showing like Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent like kind of walking through a parking lot, and I mean I don't know maybe this is scripted I don't know but when he's talking and he stops and he's like because a, a guy's walking by he's like who's this guy here huh? who is he what's going on with this guy and then they go back into their conversation like I don't know I have to imagine it's just he, they tell Joe Pesci like hey just live in this character for a bit we need to shoot some we need to we need some examples of you guys covering your mouths and being gangsters uh and then they roll with it. Oh and you know what That's it, interesting. Oh, yeah. go, I'm sorry, go ahead. You first. Now I was just going to say that scene I felt like was scripted out. I think I'm sure it I is,
0: I assumed yeah. they were saying the things, but yeah, go on, sorry.
1: Well, but I now was also kind of to sidetrack it a bit even though he's not one of our three main characters, he's close to uh you know, one of the next major characters besides someone like Frank Vincent. James Woods is so fucking good in this movie as Lester the scumbag Uh, and the way they drop like little hints of like their relationship. I mean, they're not even that little. They're on the nose where he's like, I'm seeing you for the first time you're in high school. And it like tells us everything we know about this scumbag that, you know, took this poor girl in and she can't let go of this. Like, I guess father figure slash pimp relationship that he's had with her and it's like a weird vice that she has and he just knows how to turn on whatever his charm is to her uh and kind of like catch her up in his bullshit and he's so hateable but like i don't know (laughs) i just love watching him when he's doing his dumb things or he's like hey where are you she's like i'm right here no you're not where are you (laughs) and you almost can kind of see that someone would think that this guy has your best interests at heart and he does not
0: yeah, that's great, because you get a, a pretty deep understanding of where she's at as a character, because she uh, she's the one who never gets involved, never gets, like, she, she's been a hustler and all these things, and she is always manipulating everyone else. But this is such clear manipulation. Like, it's so obvious that this guy does not have her best interests at heart, but they met when she was 14. It's left a really deep imprint on her, and she's not able or even, like, willing to let go of that because that's where she has all of these emotions that she's shut off from the rest of her life, the way she's always play-acting. That's where all of that is centered, for better and worse, and mostly worse. But that means that she seems kind of like we were saying with ace he's so logical and everything and then with ginger he's just like no i'm gonna i'm just gonna go ahead and put my trust in this one person who very clearly uh is not trustworthy and tells me up front that they're not trustworthy and she's kind of calling this pimp and crying on her wedding day because this is all an arrangement and she's been upfront about that but, yeah, she it, it really makes you pity the character a bit, especially considering that since we're past the spoiler warning now, I can say that she dies uh, of a drug overdose uh, at the end of the film as well. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And um, it's not exactly the same, but the beats, it, it reminded me of... Excuse me, when Tony decides he's going to put all his trust in Christopher, <laughs> and Christopher yeah, is going to be yeah. his his main guy or his ticket out if something happens, don't oh it doesn't matter, I've Christopher here. And it's just, you know, for Tony's idea it was cuz this is family. And with Ace, I guess he just thought like, well, we get married, I give her enough money, she's going to start to love me, and once we have this love, she like obviously your wife is the one you would uh trust everything uh in but like no doesn't work and there's the weird little parallels i picked up like and i mean and maybe i'm making these connections they're not actually what they're going for but like in the beginning of their relationship we have that whole scene where she's like i get a power to my nose and he gives her 50 bucks or 100 bucks whatever it is and she leaves does her thing comes back and he's like oh was there any change and she's like ah, i played a couple games blah, blah blah she tells him like a yada 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 is a lie and he's cool with it. And he's like, ah, whatever. She pocketed it. But then meanwhile, then later in the movie, we have where it's like he's giving her a beeper now. And oh, where'd you go to dinner? Oh, I went to dinner with blah, blah, blah. What'd you have? I had a salad. Would you have a salad, too? All right. Call her right now. Like, it's completely flipped. And now he's like, all right, call her right now and ask her. I don't, no, I'm not saying he's not justified. He clearly is justified yeah. in his feelings. But he's a fucking maniac. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah uh that's uh, a good sort of build up from one stage to another and i i was gonna say on the scene with the pen the iconic stab him in the throat with the pen scene where uh nikki does that that's a really good and i found it. it's like 15 minutes in it's a really good setup as well for like the whole film basically because um, like this guy insults, uh, Ace, Nikki stabs him in the throat with this pen. And we just kind of sit that cause he keeps kicking and keeps kicking and Sam tells him to chill out. Um, and there's all this cigar smoke and spotlights you were saying, like there's honestly so much smoke. It, this looks like hell yeah. underneath him. So I completely see where you're coming from now in retrospect. Um, but the way they sort of look at each other there, it's really great cuz you know this is kind of their inherent difference that is even though they're friends now it is going to kind of major players in this scene um and they have completely different approaches and we we see them in slow motion with smoke uh and we know it's not going to work out um even though he's done this for ace at this point but he we know it's all going to go to shit um which is i think really well put together as well and showing that early on you know
1: yeah no absolutely um and then cuz well cuz like the movie is like this is the ultimate bromance two dudes yeah. broing out <laughs> grew up together making money, kicking ass. Uh, but then the things that, yeah, separate them, become more apparent as they get older and they get kind of ingrained in their, whatever their particular skill set might be. Um, and shit, because there, there was a moment I was thinking of earlier because we have the whole thing where where Nikki does ask Sam. Like, I mean, he's not asking permission per se, but he is. And then later on in the movie, he's like, acting like that didn't happen or he just doesn't remember it um oh because yeah and that's because that's very similar to ace when he makes this deal with ginger he explicitly is saying like well this jewelry is yours given the other money was supposed to be money for his if he was kidnapped but like the jewelry and stuff was supposed to be hers but then he's flipping that where he's acting like no that's not what happened that's not what i I would never have agreed to that and it's like no you did like they both kind of have these blind spots later on when things aren't quite to what they thought it was going to be you know what I mean? Yeah for sure that's a great point point. and like it's
0: now that you're mentioning it, it's with the jewels and all that it's so written out and so obvious like what's going to happen and it's really interesting to see characters just make these choices that we know and everyone around them knows don't make any sense like when he's setting up this vault uh, for money for if he's kidnapped or whatever and he makes sure that his wife is the only one who can open it. Not even he can have access to these $2 million. Yeah. And it just makes no sense. Even the banker guy is like, oh, like a a lot of regular people wouldn't trust their partner (laughs) like this. But he's, because he seems to like kind of worship that as a concept it's kind of like that's his pimp at some point that was ingrained in him and it's such a deep understanding of how love should work and what he wants out of life and he he's you know 40 something or other at the start of the film he hasn't gotten it he decides to manufacture it (laughs) uh, and then it's just even went later in the film and he repeats to her like can i trust you can i trust you Can I trust you? And like the answer is very obviously no. And she's already just shown that you can't trust him, but he wants to hang on to this idea of being able to trust someone. Um, And I guess that this all also kind of parallels his, his relationship with Nikki and in general, like wanting just stuff to be on the up and up. And even though he is the bookmaker who, who just keeps track of all the sports betting and knows every single thing of how to determine an outcome, he can't see all these factors in his life and how they very clearly will
1: lead to a bad outcome. Um, So yeah, what a dumbass. ass. <laughs> yeah, my point. it is great because it shows how the movie does show how smart he is and how like detail oriented, obviously like, again, Well, the first time I saw this, I saw this in the theaters uh, with my cousin, my older cousin. But we worked at it it, it, it like really rang true to us because we worked at my grandfather's donut shop and we made muffins. That's what we did every day. So then after work, we go to see this movie. We love the scene where he's like, I want an equal amount of blueberries (laughs) in each muffin. Because we understood. We were like. That would be fucking insane. <laughs> Could you imagine having to do that? Uh, but yeah, the movie goes out of the way to show how you know intelligent, detail-oriented he is. But then again, like most great stories, or even just real life, someone can be so smart, but when it's something for them, it's easy to tell some other person what their issues are in their life. But it's yeah. very hard to see that from your own point of view, for whatever reason. Uh, and then, yeah, the movie goes out of the way to show how smart he is, but also how fucking dumb he is uh, with some of the, the, the choices he makes. And the way he is just trying to, uh, you know, push this square peg through a round hole. He's just trying to make it happen with money and luck, and it's just not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I guess, yeah, a few things I wanted to get into as far as, you know, the, the actual history of what happened, etc., um let's see so for Joe Pesci's character um the real person uh oh i didn't put their name here uh he was nicknamed Tony the Ant so Tony let me just find it real quick so i had it a second ago Anthony Spill Spill Spilotro. Spilotro. Uh, I'm gonna go with that I'm gonna go with that pronunciation he was nicknamed Tony the ant apparently because uh, by the media because an FBI special agent referred to him as that little pissant and they couldn't print like pissant so it was shortened to Tony the ant um, and there's a lot of similar like obviously a lot of similarities between the character and the real-life person he ran this hole in the wall gang uh, very creatively named because they kept going around Vegas creating holes to in the walls to enter and burglarize them which we do see yeah. uh, as well in the film um, and interestingly like the person that's uh that we mentioned at the start uh Rosenstall um he he did have an affair with uh, Rosenstahl's wife. So I, I when I when you read that, it's like how could you not make a film about yeah. this? Like there's so many of these things um, on the murder that we mentioned in the field. It's interesting how this film came out in '95, right? And it's like details about what actually happened have come out like in the years after this it's so interesting to me that they you know kind of it's history like it's a close history, but, like these events were just a few years before the film actually came out like the end of the film the uh character of uh sam what's his name here i had it a second yeah it's ago. like lefty Yeah, Rosenstock, uh lefty that's yeah. it yeah lefty is still alive like at the he died in 2008 like and after like after the events of the film he like got involved in like online betting and stuff like that and i was like that does not compute to me because it feels like two completely different worlds that like this is this glamorous uh you know fake uh city of gold in in the desert uh and then it all crumbles by the end of the film and then like no he's still around he was doing sports betting and stuff and we found out like in 2007 or whatever that uh he he was an informant apparently for the FBI and so was his wife that's i read that somewhere at least uh which is so interesting because obviously that would have been in the film if that was public knowledge to anyone but no he was yeah. alive there was ev- he, so they they wouldn't release that until after his death so really interesting stuff i thought
1: well and then even um the frank vincent plays what like frank marino uh, i believe mm-hmm. is the character name but the real guy yeah. frank clutta was a advisor on the book and an advisor on the movie he also plays a uh hitman in the movie i'm not sure which scene though um but also i mean he did pass away just last year covid which It is weird to think, because when you watch these movies, you just assume like, oh, this is old. This happened a long time ago. These people aren't around anymore. I guess he had a YouTube channel called Coffee with Colotta. I I guess, you know, maybe a morning show where he's just having coffee. Because he was kind
0: of the one who, uh, you know... Like we see in The Sopranos, some mob guys will just turn and start doing publicity stuff and writing books about what mob life is like because it's so, like, uh, intriguing to people. And I think he was one of those, right? Because he was a consultant on the film (laughs) about, like, stuff that happened. And it's, as you say, like, he goes, like, murdering people in the film. (laughs) So it's a bit weird, his character.
1: Um, But, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he was given Um, immunity. It looks like he... um... He must have uh, rat- turned rat because he was given immunity for his mm. previously uncharged crimes. He did have ten years in prison, reduced to eight years due to an outburst. <laughs> uh, uh, after an, wait, uh, t- why would it be reduced if due to an outburst? I don't know. Uh, but he, I mean, he was still living in Vegas. Uh, well, that was and the, that was another question. Like the because I love the voiceover change, and I love that even we get a, a moment yeah. from him. Where all of a sudden he's giving us voiceover as well, uh, where yes like things have to stop, and he's like, "What can I say? Like this could get everyone killed. What am I supposed to do here?" Uh, but the points, the point of view is because it is almost like it is like, okay, let's get the guys that ran the mobbed up Vegas and let's have them do a podcast and let's shoot a film around <laughs> the podcast they made. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, and, and as far as the voiceover change and, and stuff
0: with that, like, Nicky is still doing his voiceover when he gets killed, which is, yes. you know, not revolutionary or anything. Like, you know, voiceover from dead people has been a thing for a long time in cinema, and the film starts with a car bombing, and we don't know exactly how that's going to end at the start. Um, but yeah, Nicky's kind of doing the voiceover of what's happening in, you know, the speaking as if it had happened in the past and then he the voiceover goes like, ah, when he's yeah. hit by a bat, yeah, <laughs> and he gets murdered. Uh that's great. Um but that's another thing that's like, you know, they wouldn't have known as much in ninety five about how he was murdered as we know now. Mm-hmm. Like uh it said he the uh the original reports was that he was, you know, beaten to death in a cornfield in Indiana. Uh which was, you know, Also filmed around the corner from you. Um, But like, it was in 2007 that someone testified that they were actually killed in a basement. um, And their bodies were transported to the cornfield. Like, not that that matters, like, mm. you. but it's just interesting that these details come out yeah. over time because these people are still alive. The people who murdered them are still alive and out there, and they watch these films where they're in the films. And this is the feedback loop that leads to the situation we're in at the start of The Sopranos, right, where there's all this weird overlap between the media and the obsession and Italian-Americanism and all of these things that become Central you know and and like in 2005 14 members of the Chicago outfit were uh arrested and indicted for 18 murders including um including the ant Tony the ant's murder um and he was sentenced to all oh, right uh Oh yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, one of them was sentenced to 200 years in prison already in 90. Uh, so yeah, because, uh, yeah. Because yeah, uh, because his wife testified against him and that in 86, she drove her husband from an Indiana cornfield where he told her he had buried as uh, Sp- Sp- Spillotro. So yeah, it's just interesting how these sort of dominoes, you make a film, it's kind of like the social network. You make a film about Facebook, uh, relatively early on in facebook's history and then additional things happen uh whereas this is very much doc it makes sense though this is very much documenting like the glory days of their mob operation but Mm. things are still coming out in the years after it which is fun
1: yeah and even on the voiceover there's another moment i really like i think it's when he's talking about the lip readers and then ace is like kind of explaining he's trying to explain how they found out but he just it just fades off like his he's still talking, but he they fade his voiceover away like into the scene, and that's something they mm-hmm. kind of use similarly in The Irishman, but that's like to a different extent more t- because you're listening to like a, an old man rambling a story, <laughs> uh, which is great. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know if you did you read some of the stuff about Lefty talking about the movie? Uh, I'm not sure. There was a quote because people are like. Did he like the movie? Did he not like the movie? And he had said, like, he the the rumor had come out that he'd only watched it once, or he said he'd only seen it once. And then, so that would mean they know that he saw it at a screening, like an early cut with, like, Nicholas Pileggi, So it was, like, before it was released. And I guess he had a couple issues. Like, he's like, I would only tell someone something once. You know the movie has me telling my telling people things like two or three times before I fire them. I would only tell them once. Uh that's one of the things. And also, he didn't like that they showed him juggling on the TV show because he's like, I would have never juggled. And even though it is like a goof, like it's a like they even have. uh was it Kevin Pollock who plays like uh, something green where he's like, oh no, he's juggling, uh, and he's like, I would have never juggled. And then he's like, I not, and I only took the show because they told me to, or the, the head of commission thought it would help my image. Like he was trying to like defend it, which in a weird way makes it seem like the movie maybe hit it too close to home. Uh, if anything, uh, which I, I do love that the, that's like another version of like ACE going to the extremes where like Nikki's going to his extremes where he's messing things up because He's doing shit behind the boss's back. He's doing his own side things where he's keeping money. And then Ace is completely caught up in thinking he's a legit businessman to the fact that he's going on TV challenging like local yeah. uh, officials to debates. And everyone's like, did you forget we're fucking the mafia? Stop. <laughs> Stop doing this
0: yeah and it's like that's such a bizarre thing as well the tv show that we kind of move past as things are escalating in the film but yeah it's a real thing you can uh search for the frank Rosenthal show there's a whole episode on youtube uh from 1979 which is just crazy um <laughs> insane um i think he also said something like uh what was it he said that uh oh yeah they they asked him about like how how accurate it was right maybe this is the same sort of quote you yeah. were reading but like on a, he said it was a seven on a scale from one to ten on how accurate um and yeah said that <laughs> when asked about uh the portrayal of his wife he said i really wouldn't want to get into that area it's an area that is distasteful and bring back brings back bad memories i wouldn't uh be willing to dispute what you just said but i certainly wouldn't confirm it um, I thought that was about the murder of Nikki at first, but
1: no, that <laughs> quote is about the depiction of his
0: wife. Oh.
1: Yeah, because I was even thinking like if some, if Scorsese made a movie about your life and De Niro played you, how do you only watch it once? But then, yeah, I mean, because if if it's similar, I mean, if if they nailed anything that would hit close to home on like how his actual relationship was and also it makes him kind of look really stupid I guess I could see like oh, I don't really want to watch that yeah I, I
0: could see it and to speak of his sort of life um, and well the the car bombing for a start it as they say in the film there was incidentally sort of this metal plate in the car's design that most likely saved his life um, of course, in the film, he's pretty sure that it was Nikki that um, did the car bomb, which we yeah. don't see. So to be fair, there's some ambiguity there. In real life, there's like a laundry list of potential suspects. A lot of people didn't like him, including like a biker, those biker friends that are mentioned briefly of his wife um, that she's doing all the drugs with. Could have been them, could have been other mobsters. Um, and some characters are obviously combined. And I mean... It's not, Nikki's not the real person's name anyway. I guess this is part of why, you know, you had to combine some characters and make things a bit simpler. Um, but interestingly, so after he survived this, uh, he was eventually placed in the same black book that we see in the film, um, in that this is the, the very short list of people who can't even go into a casino. Um, and he was placed in that for Nevada. He couldn't enter one anymore. Uh, in 1990, he won a court ruling to have his name removed, and he was rep- represented, like we were saying before, uh, by a uh, future Las Vegas mayor, Oscar Goodman, yes. who also represented uh, Tony the Ant um, as well, and, like, yes. lots of mobsters, and nice. then became mayor for three terms and then his wife is still the mayor. Yeah. So nice. they because you can only be the mayor for three terms. And this is all very weird. Um and he has a cameo nice. in the film as we were saying when he's defending Ace. But yeah, they did he did win the ruling to have his name removed from the black book. But then uh it, I think it went to the Supreme Court, uh, or a higher court at least, and then it was uh it, it was put back in again. <laughs> so so then he uh, moved to Florida eventually and ran a sports bar and then to Miami Beach and ran a sports betting website and worked as a consultant for offshore betting companies. And then he died in 2008. He was 79 years old um, and it was apparently a heart attack. And mm. it was after that that it was disclosed that he had been an informant for the FBI, wow. as had his wife, Jerry. So, Excellent. There you go.
1: Gotta love it. Uh, well, and all because, like, yeah. The I mean, do you take it that the movie is hinting that uh, that um, what's I mean, I I believe obviously the the movie's hinting that Nikki's behind it, or are they hinting that uh, uh, Sharon Stone is somehow involved in the in the car bomb? No, I read it says uh, he's definitely
0: saying that it was Nikki. Yeah, that's what opinion. I thought too. Um, well, because
1: I'm just skimming yeah. through like the mob museum. The mob museum is saying that there are theories that Pim, that pinned Jerry Rosenthal's like outlaw biker group that she was hanging out yeah. with. Uh, exactly. And I didn't realize that her death was only a month after the car bombing. Like, because I, I wasn't I sure if the movie was clear on how far in the future her death happened. Um, but to me, because the movie's all about bromance and broing down, and Ace and Nikki being bros, that's the part that hurts my heart. Because i I don't think I don't think Nikki would do that. He even t- he even t- tells her he's like, I know this guy for thirty years. I'm gonna whack him over you. It's Such a great moment. It's mm. such a bro moment. <laughs> Yeah, you can't deny the yeah, bros. That's... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, they are <laughs> bros, um, but I guess it's just because we're in this montage of everybody getting yes. uh, getting killed, basically because anyone who knows anyone, just because the the bosses. Because yeah, I think it was um, sort of in the in the very top level uh, summary of what actually happened. Um, the so the fictional 10 years Resort, it reflected the story of uh, the Stardust Resort and Casino mm. um, and the skimming operation over the course of six years. They siphoned away somewhere between 7 and $15 million uh, with rigged scales. And when it was uncovered by the FBI, it was like the largest ever exposed and a number of organized crime figures were convicted. Um, it's weird. And like the bosses... Oh, I was yeah. just going to say,
1: it's weird because that sounds low, but maybe it's just because yeah. it's what? Fifty years ago, or whatever, at this point, um, yeah. But where nowadays, I think that's people are. I like, think
0: that's it, and there probably would have been other parts of it sure, as well. That's just, yeah. just the siphoning. That's just the skim uh, where, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, the skim. Sorry. Um, yeah, so, so the the mob bosses back home, uh, when they're arrested in this, they, uh, they basically opt to just kill anyone who has any knowledge of anything, which is why it would have been believable for me for Nicky to kill him, because why wouldn't Ace, uh, choose to be an informant for the FBI, as apparently he did choose to do at some point, so like, why wouldn't he kill him? But yeah, it's the bromance, though. We it, Let us believe that it wasn't, maybe it wasn't him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: well, cause yeah, um, well, there's a few things. Well, I do, I do want to call out the mob bosses being in court with their oxygen and everything. It's big time Uncle Junior vibes. Uh, yeah. Because I, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, they were old, but also like I think they're putting some of that on a bit. Uh, the Mob Museum also says another suspect in the car bombing is former Milwaukee crime boss Frank Mad Bomber Balistri. Uh, the History Channel publication 2020 states that most evidence points to him because he blamed Rosenthal for, uh, the Chicago outfit demand that he surrendered 25% of the take from the skimming operation. So he was giving up part of his, uh, part of his take, which is probably Mm. the most likely answer. Uh, at least the at least in my Sopranos point of view, where you know we're post many Saints of Newark and the things that uh, came out of that, where it would be more of a petty like money thing than like yeah. some cool. I mean, not that this that uh, Nikki and Sam didn't have their petty things, uh, but it would be more like a weird petty thing like that that came back. So I, that's what I am going to subscribe to. Excellent, um, yeah, and. Uh,
0: I guess if we it, I don't think I liked the movie quite as much as you just hearing you wax about it at the start. I still liked it, um but I did have some thoughts on sort of the theme and how it works and I guess to an extent like all mob movies are about a rise and a fall, whether that's about an individual mobster or about a family or like organized crime involvement with one thing or another whether it's like Cuba, Atlantic City or in this one it's Las Vegas. And obviously they have it set up all smooth at the start. And Nikki kind of represents the greed, the volatility of doing this thing, this organized crime thing, whereas Ace is more the the logical business side. And we see them clash against each other, even though they're trying to cooperate and kind of destroy one another. Um, and then at the end of the film, we see this montage about how Vegas changes, becomes corporate run, like a Disneyland fueled by junk bonds, which, you know, arguably are just as morally corrupt uh, <laughs> as to, to use as any mobster stuff, but it's less personal, um, as is sort of the service people can come to expect. And I guess in a sense, Ace Ace's side of it wins in that everything becomes more cold and calculated and impersonal, and he's arguably, like, someone who could have functioned in the new Las Vegas, uh, like, as a manager of a casino if he had been legit, whereas Mm. Nikki obviously could not. Um, and I think this is a this is basically like the theme, the overall theme in my opinion of the film, besides all the stuff we've already talked about, importance of bromance, trust, all these things. It's all clearly communicated about Vegas and and like the, the rise and fall and everything, but it's not like at the end when we see the montage of casinos collapsing and them talking about it becoming like a Disneyland or whatever, you're not really like, oh no, what's gonna happen to the soul of Las Vegas. Like the gradual corruption as synced up with the people if that makes sense at all I I just wrote wrote some rambly thoughts on this I don't know if any of it makes any sense but I just know I've seen films where you know a a person becomes corrupt over time and their corruption sort of syncs up with uh, the corruption of what they're doing and in a sense people don't change that much in this. I know they become more desperate and they start disliking each other more, but I I don't really see Ace at the end of the film as that different from at the start of the film. All the characters just kind of get more powerful and older and their relationships fester over time. Um, And the ending line when... uh, ace is like i ended up right back where i started and thematically it's like it makes sense from a story structure point of view but it doesn't really pack a huge punch at the end when it's like and that's that and here Mm. i am doing betting again you're just kind of like yeah those are all things that happened um but i it, it just didn't like have an emotional punch to me the those major movements whereas the interpersonal stuff which is central to the film is good and works and like does have a punch to it but just as far as how everything came together uh those were some random thoughts of mine
1: no that makes sense but also i am the only criticism i would have of the ending is that it is it's very re- it's not the same um hit but it's reminiscent of henry hill's ending in goodfellas because but but i also like that and, and it also lends itself a bit to sopranos like talking about how people don't change because It's not like you come out on the other end and you learn something. It's like Henry Hill is just annoyed that he has to live in the suburbs with everyone else. Like, what the fuck? This sucks. And then Ace Rothstein is kind of the same idea where he's like, we had this cool thing where we could smash guys' arms with hammers. Uh, and I could have other guys put people's heads in a vice and squash their fucking eyeball out. But now we have a corporation that's getting all this money. Like, you know, I think there also could be, and so it's similar in my opinion, where he's just like, he's not saying like, oh man, look at the bad things I was involved in or, or like I helped, I helped create. He's saying, like, "Oh fuck!" Now I don't get a piece of it, and I'm just back to yeah. doing bets. But hey, good for me. There's elements you can read from, but obviously, I would admit that this element is not as strong. But again, like, I, some of the stuff that I pick up on the more recent rewatch is I feel like the way Ace goes for for uh, it's Ginger in the movie, right? Because what it's like Jerry yeah. in real life, yeah, Ginger is he does want love, he does want someone to be with. And at the end he's alone. Um But I, but I would be lying if I didn't say that that's very flimsy. Like that's a flimsy thing. Like it's not hitting that in the movie. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I guess I didn't expect it to be a punch because it's more about like, again, a guy who's more upset that he's not getting like, a piece of it. He, he lives for this action, like similar to Henry Hill. Like, and it's not even just the money. It's like just being in the action, also like, at least from Ace, it's more like being the boss and like being able to like, yeah. dictate how things are, and now he's not a part of that anymore. Uh, and I think there's some, there's something interesting to take from, I guess, any of these movies, especially with Scorsese when he's when he's digging into some of the crime stuff, how it's always like the crime gets big enough that then legitimate businesses are like, we'll take it from here, kid. (laughs) This is our crime now. (laughs) Don't worry. We got it. Uh, I mean, because obviously Wolf of Wall Street is like a a big piece of just like... Not that it's legitimate, but like you how people that can just take advantage of things that are almost in legitimate businesses. Um, But I don't know. That's kind of my rambling thoughts. Like I get what you're saying. It does leave you in like just a place where all this shit happens. And then... Here we are, and then credits. Like you almost expect, I'm glad this doesn't happen. You expect a weird title card to come up as it fades where it's like, and then Sam uh Rostein uh went and, you know, saved the president's daughter or something like that. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. It's just credits. Uh but I guess that's almost similar to what you were just talking about, how like even a decade after this movie was done. There were still details that were coming out, or still people doing things, or the story was still going. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of like the thing that happens when you take something historical like this and you're not that quite removed from it, and you try to tell whatever your story version of that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, same as
0: the critics were saying at the time, even if they're. Even if it's not the best film this collaboration has ever produced, it's still really good, uh, well worth watching, especially if you're into the genre. And I do think it has interesting connection points with The Sopranos, much like most of the canon uh, of these films. Um, so we will probably dig into A few more of these moving forward. I did want to say uh, it's not about Casino, but before we wrap up, thank you uh, to Aina, uh, who left the latest review for us on Apple Podcasts. Excellent. Excellent. who says it's a five-star review and the title is like Sopranos, then you'll love this. That makes sense. Yeah, we talk about the Sopranos. Uh, great analysis from Jacob and Jim. This is for those who enjoy the Sopranos on more than one level. These gents look under the bonnet of everything from production to the hidden message behind different scenes. All this while not taking themselves too seriously. Excellent podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Aina. Thank you. And thank Thanks to everyone who's taken the time to leave a review. If you haven't yet, uh, it's not too late. um, And you can do so on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with us or follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Shows What You Know on Twitter. That's the letter U. Um, And I guess, yeah, I didn't ask if you had any closing thoughts on this particular film. But uh, any other things you want to bring up before we wrap up, Jim? Hmm...
1: No, I guess there's just one last thing to say. What's that? Cut to black.